0: Church. We are here with another episode of our podcast. It's a bit impromptu, but we wanted to take some time to answer the rest of the questions over the book of Acts we didn't get to this Sunday. So for the last 29 weeks we've been studying the book of Acts on Sunday. Paul and Andy have been leading us very well through it, and we wrapped up our sermon series this Sunday and asked for your questions. We answered as many as we could on Sunday, but there were a lot of great questions. So today we're going to as quickly as we can, uh, which isn't our spiritual gifting, so give us some grace. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, we're going to try and answer your questions. Yeah. Uh, I'm here with Pastor Andy and Pastor Paul. You guys want to say hi. Good morning. Hi, Redeemer Church.
1: Good morning, Redeemer Church. Thanks for taking some time to do this. Uh, I, I'm glad that we get to kind of address the, one, the questions that we didn't get to on Sunday. So,
0: All right. So yeah. first off, uh, I'll start with this. I was going to ask this last, but let's just knock it out. Uh, what's something new that you may have learned about the Book of Acts and studying and prepping for this series? Possible that you shared all of the new things you learned already. <laughs> I have
1: spoken a little bit. A few things,
2: of, yeah.
0: But just go back and listen to every sermon. I think that's what.
2: Yeah.
1: Just, just um, go back and redo that. Yeah. Uh,
2: so I think for me, it was Paul's time in Athens. So mm-hmm. again, like us here, we, we've read through the Bible and we've we've read through Acts before. Um, but just when Paul is, is spending time walking through the city and uh, that said sarcastically by one visitor to, to Athens that it was easier to find a God in the city of Athens than it was to find a man. And uh-huh. I just, that was fascinating to me. And so then digging a little bit deeper that at that time there were 30,000 gods or deities at, the, at that time mm-hmm. in Athens. And that actually made my brain hurt a little mm-hmm. bit. And so I think that's just talking about, yeah, we've, we come across a lot of things in Acts, but I think that one just thinking about Paul being in the city, having a heart for the city, um, caring for the people, and what he had to contend with—that <laughs> sounds like a lot of gods yeah. to contend with.
1: But but how many gods would Norman have? Like anthropologically, like in, in years to come, if, yeah. if they excavated Norman, Oklahoma, and started counting that up, what would be the number for that? For how many gods does Norman, Oklahoma, have?
2: Oh. Am I just throwing a number out there?
1: I I don't know. Eight thousand. Eight thousand. Look, because you're yeah. like thirty thousand yeah. is a lot. I, yeah. I wonder if I wonder if we just don't think like that anymore. Probably. Like looking at you right now here in this room, I can count one, two, three, four, five, six, seven logos on your person. And That's a bit if, of an accusation. Yeah, <laughs> well, thank you. I've got. <laughs> I only have one. It's Apple. So I mean, so they're like <laughs> yeah. you'd think that our church is like sponsored by Apple or those things. And so I think that it, when, when I thought about that Ephesians passage, and you think about all those gods, I go, they were all visible and they named them that. But yeah. I think we have thousands upon thousands of gods, things that we. Give glory and honor and worthy
2: to. So you're saying it'd be a good exercise for our people to maybe make a list of like things that you might deify if you gave time to think about that and what are you worshiping and. Yeah.
1: Well, and I don't even know if we think about deify as much as we go. We give honor and. I take more time in that than, and than I do. We put Jesus. value upon yeah. that. I think those are the things that that was my connection point during that time because I'm like, man, thirty thousand—that's crazy. Yeah. But you go. But we walk around and we give value and honor to a, a lot of different things. If there's Morship. a Nike swoosh on something, that's more valuable than if it doesn't have it on there. And so uh, uh, I think that's a, I, that was the interesting part about that uh, for me. Um, my answer to that question was just simply Peter. Uh, I loved, in this time through Acts, watching Peter, how do you change your mind? So Peter changes his mind. You see his his understanding, his development grow as God can think, continues to reveal that this message isn't about people becoming Jewish and then believing in the Messiah. It is about believing in the Messiah. It, it it's going out to the Gentiles, and 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 I feel like that's something that Peter struggled with, and it was oddly comforting of going. We don't we don't just hear things once and then. We become convinced. It's much more incremental than that. That was kind of yeah. what I kind of gathered this time. That's good.
0: All right. Next question uh, Where do the epistles of Paul fall in the timeline of Acts? Uh, I'll let you answer because I
2: I wrote blueletterbible.org <laughs> has a great, <laughs> succinct list of like literally every, and we could actually link that probably oh, I think in the We that should that link cause that because it's really well done.
1: But Yeah, rather than going through each one, that his letters actually go out all throughout Acts, and that's over uh, a few decades. Mm-hmm. And so uh, you have the what are called his prison epistles is kind of where Acts ends. And you have Philemon that he writes. You have Philippians that he writes. Um, and I'm doing this off the top of my head, so. Proud of you. Uh, a little bit of research would have been, <laughs> or my notes would have been better. I had those kind of written down. But, yeah, we'll link that in the, in the, uh, the notes, because... I think it's a great thing to be able to see he's writing these letters as he's on mission, what he's doing when he's in those situations. And so, yeah. Great.
0: Um, In Acts 21, we talked a lot about the need for Christian community. How can we share this need with people who don't see involvement
1: as necessary? Wow. Wow. So how do we share it with people who don't see the need as necessary? Do you, do you think that question is asking people who don't think they need community, or people they don't think they need Christian community? What do you think?
2: Uh, I I read it as people that don't think they need Christian community as much, or maybe yeah. even like a like an indictment on the local church to a degree of yeah. Um, you know, I've got my Bible, um, I've got this other person that I text about the Bible, um, which God can use those things.
1: Um, well, because but, even through this time of coronavirus, those things, sure. I feel like the need for community is kind of felt right now. Just that there, there's isolation. We're, we're longing for connection. And so I kind of went there too. But but I think there's some people who kind of go, I don't need that. And I'm like, I think that that we need to understand the different ways that we get community. So, In the ways that we that we're constantly being connected, and how some of them are, are kind of empty, and, and and some of them aren't very full, but can kind of inoculate us without actually giving us rich community. I think there's kind of a discussion there. But let, let's take it to Christian community.
2: Yeah. Um, so I think like simply for people that that you might think that don't think they need that, um, you would you would continue to love those people well. You can to serve those people well. Um, show them the goodness of who God is. But I think the hard thing in these situations is, I think Jackie Hill Perry said it, but, you know, the remedy for church hurt is the local church. And so the remedy for people that don't think they need Christian community is still the local church. And um, and I would also encourage that you can't make someone love the local church like the spirit would have to do that. And so, um, I don't know, I guess pray a lot and give grace and show humility and, let them ask questions. You know, I mean, I think those are all things that I would say.
1: Well, and I think community has to prove itself out. Yeah. That um, because community is messy. And so some people are like, oh, I just want perfect Christian community. I want everything to, to be agreeable. That's why I love that this whoever asked this question, they kind of pointed to Acts 21, where Paul's actually in conflict with his yeah. Christian community. Right, They're disagreeing about that. And um, I think sometimes people are like, well, hold on, if there's a disagreement, that means that this Christian community has failed, or is it right, or I need to find a different one, rather than saying, Christian community is that it's community through all of those things, that it's a community of grace, that community is bestowed upon you, it's given to you, you're woven in as a family, and that isn't... That isn't broken. That and so one of the ways that you prove that is you make it through the difficult parts. That you're there on the other end. And to me, that's what's going on with Paul. Paul's having this the, these people that he's actually having real conversations with, real disagreements with. And he's getting through. That community is still. He's like, I'm disagreeing with you. Y'all think? Y'all tell me not to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to Jerusalem. So they're disagreeing, but then at the end of each one of these, you see them coming, and they pray for him, and they weep, and they're going to miss him. Yeah. And you're like, man, that that's that's where Christian community, I think, finds its richness, is that Christian community isn't earned, it's bestowed. And so just because there's conflict, it weathers through that conflict. And So I think a lot of times community has to prove itself past that.
2: Yeah, no, I, I would totally agree. I think we've yeah. said or heard someone say that, like, unless you've had to – like ask for forgiveness from someone in community. Like, are you actually in community? And I know that like personally, like over the last several months, I've had to ask for forgiveness from my community at Redeemer for multiple things and some of it intentional, some of it not intentional And um, I'm better in community for that yeah.
1: process. And, and the, the tricky thing here, and tell me if this sounds weird, but the tricky thing about, you're like, what do you do with people who don't see a need for that? You be in community with them, right? Yeah, you, you care for them, and you don't demand that they see the value of it before you give it. We we bestow it upon people. You know, this week we had you know new uh, uh, you know guests, first time they never come to Redeemer. They walk in, and I was just kind of struck at here are all the things that we do for people who we don't know who they are, just in case they might come, Well, because we're bestowing community on them before they see the need for it. And so, I, whoever this is, I would encourage them to go, well, give that person Christian community. Give that person grace and, and long and pray for peace with them and bear their burdens with them and show them forgiveness. And, and as you said, the Holy Spirit promises that He comes in and He knits together a family yep. that literally can't be torn apart. And that gets a little bit tricky because Christian community, I think, moves beyond just the local church to the universal church that we need to understand. And so people do move churches, and, and I understand that. But the reason why we say that is because of mission, like you see here with Paul, not because of that community has found something that can't work through. So,
0: Great. Um, one more question about community. Um, this person asks, in what ways is Acts prescriptive of Christian community, and in what ways should we beware of, quote-unquote, old-time religion? Yeah. Uh-huh.
1: Uh, so, in looking at this question, I I, I would love a, a follow up. And so, whoever wrote that, if they want to, kind of, uh, I want to be careful if we take it a different direction than they did yeah. the, than they do. That you know, let, let's keep talking about it because I think I think this is an important question. When you look at Acts, how much is prescriptive? How much is descriptive? And so, in prescriptive is saying this is what all Christians through all out all time should be doing. Mm-hmm. And descriptive, what they did, this is how you should. This is just telling you how it came about. Um, uh, unique in that community and culture.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, no, no, no. I, no, yes. Okay, no, no, I thought you were going to take it. Oh, yeah. So I, like, I think this We're so in sync, right? We're so in sync. Okay. Um, okay. Bye, bye, bye. Um, so I think... Did you just sing? I did. Okay. So I think uh, in terms of descriptive, like when you look at... Again, we always go back to Acts two forty two through 47. Yeah. And I think what that is, it's, it's a reaction to who Jesus is and what the Holy Spirit does and that it, what else could make someone like share things in community and share finances Mm -hmm. and meeting each other's homes and continue to do that week after week. And so I think like, like you said, it wasn't like Acts 2, 42, 47. I command you do this with 12 people. And, you know, and I just think that like, it's more so like, this is kind of what happened because of what the Spirit did in their right. lives, and um, they, well, they couldn't—they couldn't live any other way. Almost the, like the this is descriptive
1: what is the playing out of the prescriptive, mm-hmm. and throughout Acts, what the prescriptive is is that King Jesus has gathered people around His rule and reign, around His kingdom, called Christians, and they are sent out on mission. To tell other people that they are welcomed into this, into this, and they're doing that by the power of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> now, all those descriptive parts are, how did that play out? Well, when you keep talking about Acts 2, well, there's a big Jewish festival, and thousands of people came to know Christ, and they're kind of like, all right, well, now what? Well, if anybody had need they made sure that their needs were taken care of? Because right. Jesus has declared that they're valuable and that they can come and they can believe in him and then they sent them out and they made sure that they were taken care of Like so the descriptive parts is because of the prescriptive elements in this of Jesus has formed a people, he sent those people out for his kingdom to be spread across et- through ethnic races, through different cultures, through different geography going out to the ends of the earth yeah. and so to me I think that's what's and so how that happened, you have weird things like, oh, these people became believers, but they didn't have the Holy Spirit yet. And so, oh, so is there and so people want to make that prescriptive. So everybody has this second baptism of the Holy Spirit. We go, no, that was descriptive. That wasn't prescriptive. We ask on Sunday we ask a lot of questions. There are some questions about miracles. Miracles are descriptive of what the Holy Spirit did because yeah. it literally is supernatural. So it's not prescriptive as of the supernatural supposed to be the natural. It's going, God will do crazy stuff, and that doesn't mean that that becomes, but I think a lot of times we want to take some of those descriptive things, make them prescriptive so we have a formula of how to do stuff. Yeah, And Acts, over and over and over again, talks about how the Holy Spirit calls us into a relationship where the word of the Lord went out through his scripture, the word of the Lord, the Lord spoke. All throughout throughout Acts, you see that, and it's a relationship that's driving this, not a formula that they're trying to enact.
0: Yeah. All right. So um, that sort of transitions us a little bit into the next couple questions, um, sort of about the Holy Spirit what the okay. Holy Spirit does in the church. Um, first off, what is the place of speaking and/or praying in tongues in the church today? Okay. Uh, th- this
1: is a uh, this is a topic where we're stepping into supernatural. Because there's really kind of two categories of tongues that they talk about in Acts 2 where it seems that the tongues, the gift, the work of the Holy Spirit was giving people the ability to speak in a language that people not in their language heard. Mm-hmm. And, and what I think is cool about that, let's, can we kind of just rejoice in the miracle? That why does that happen? Because God is a God that wants to take his people And he wants to translate his relationship into another people group, into a relationship with those other people group. God is a translating God. I love that. I think that's just a beautiful kind of picture. The other element of speaking in tongues goes into this idea of a prayer language. Once again, God is a translating God, where it says that God moves upon you, and you don't even have the words to be able to express, but you express... And then God brings clarity and vision upon that. So, what is the place of that in the church? The place of that is that Redeemer Church is a place that believes and worships a God that translates himself, mm-hmm. a translating God. Now, prescriptive and descriptive, we get a lot of different opinions about that. And there's a lot of, and, and Acts doesn't uh, cover all of that. You see, 1 Corinthians has a, a lot to say about that. And, and and we want to be able to be biblical at first um and primary, but but also go by its element. This is a supernatural act of God. And what I feel comfortable is I don't want Paul running Paul right here, Paul King. I don't want you running my supernatural the supernatural things in my life. I want the Holy Spirit running those. Fair enough. Does it make sense? Now, you, I want you to give me boundaries. I want you to teach what the, what the Bible says gives us boundaries. It gives us a seatbelt, as as one old uh, commentator used to say, to the work of the Holy Spirit. But also, it was let's let's rejoice in the miracle that it was a miraculous act of the Holy Spirit.
2: Yeah, that's good. I don't have a lot to add to that, really. But other than is speaking tongue tongues real? Yeah, that's 100 percent legit. Um, I think a word that that we like to use a lot because. Um, apple computers kind of hijacked is the word continuity mm. and so how things kind of work um, together for the good of something and work yeah. together and so you know speaking in tongues yeah that would be awesome In um, as much as someone can interpret that and mm. it's in continuity with the mission of the church and um that god isn't just like giving this person um the ability to speak tongues and then having everybody else be disoriented and not understand um so I think that's where the fine line is. Is Yeah, uh, yeah that could totally happen and God could use that and, um, and
1: we would give him glory for that. Yeah. Um, so. And Christian, if you are listening to this, Christian, brother, sister, if you're listening to this and you go, I speak in tongues all the time and it's this special thing that God reveals and understands and, and, and moves in me. God bless you. If you're a Christian brother or sister, go, I've never spoken in tongues. God bless you. That doesn't make you less. It doesn't make you more. It's... The, the thing I want to rejoice in is that the creator God through Jesus Christ has a personal relationship with you and has sent his spirit in you in your life to reveal to you the translating God. How He does that? Uh,
2: so I already sent Josh a text, but just for further reading, uh, Pastor Sam Storms, uh, he's up at Ridway mm-hmm. Church in Edmond, uh, he wrote a book called The Spiritual Gifts. And so I, I, we can send that out as well, just as a. If, you, if you're like, I want to read more about that, he does a good job yeah. covering that. But
0: great. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Um, so another question about the Spirit. Um, someone asked, why would the Holy Spirit wait to come on the people until after Jesus went into heaven? Why didn't the Holy Spirit come on the people during Jesus' ministry?
1: Yeah. I, I, th- I'm glad you kind of put these questions in this order. It helps me out. Uh, the simple answer I would say to that is because that's what he, the Holy Spirit, chose to do. So it's descriptive. That what you're talking about is not a, oh, he ought to, it's he chose to do that. Now, why did he choose to do that? I think there's a element when you read the narrative of the gospels and you see Jesus talk about his his ministry and his calling, that he had a specific thing. If you look, there's some unique parts in the gospel, the uh, first part of Mark and and you see it in Matthew, where you're kind of like, Jesus is doing this good work, like he heals everybody. And then he goes to another town. But before he goes to the town, he finds out that the next day the house was filled with other people who needed to be healed. He was doing good work. Why did you go there? Well, because Jesus had this specific physical bodily incarnated mission that he was about and what he says is he goes but i'm going to send you a helper that's going to then send you out and be in the mission throughout the whole world to all the nations throughout all the time and so my my guess is that this is how god was revealing his mission, ministry, and kingdom
2: mm-hmm.
1: was by the going out. And so this is where Jesus says the crazy thing. goes, you're going to do greater things than me? Because Jesus came and his incarnation had this specific mission of salvation. The Holy Spirit then testifies to him going out. And so the spirit is a disembodied, not a physical being that can only be in one place at one time, but a spirit that can be at all places at all time." Preparing the work for his kingdom and his glory to reign forever and ever. Amen.
2: Yeah. Uh, I think it's important to say, like, like you did on the front end, of like, God kind of do whatever he wants. You know, so that's one <laughs> he thing. Gets to, yeah. um, and then kind of t- to try to answer it, like, while Jesus was on earth, people could see the living God, like you were saying, standing right in front of them, yeah. uh, the actual spirit empowered Son of God, living and breathing, performing miracles, healing the sick, carrying the kingdom of God wherever he went. So, like, they, they had Jesus right there you know yeah. who, who was being perfectly led by the spirit but like we, we talked about yesterday um yesterday two days ago in the sermon was that for the spirit to come jesus had to leave right and so like that whole passage in john 16 7 through 15 that whole discourse on the holy spirit um that'd be helpful for this conversation too to go back yeah. and read through that um but just like okay well i'm gonna leave and the spirit's gonna come he's gonna be helping you and doing this and uh so I, I think God is a God of order, and so he ordered it that way. And maybe we don't understand at times why he would do that, but there is an order to it. Mm-hmm. So
1: His ways are higher than our ways. His yeah. thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Right. But we can also see this is what it has done, is that it's amazing that, uh, you know, we're recording this, and we put it out on the Internet, and it, and it can literally go around the world. This file, this digital file can literally go around the world. The Spirit has been moving throughout all of history and throughout all of time Mm -hmm. because it's proclaiming who Jesus was and what he did so great that's good Um,
0: yeah so the Holy Spirit sort of like the star of the show in Acts (laughs) second place maybe is the disciples so Uh we have a few questions (laughs) about the disciples in their lives so um, this person asks why was being a Roman citizen significant in Acts and why do many seem surprised that Paul is a Roman citizen
1: you want to go, or I
2: don't know. So, I like, okay. So, I think being able to see the the, the dichotomy of a dual kingdom mindset yeah, um, is really important for for us today. Um, and so, I think that's an important thing. Um, and then, always being mindful of the way that Paul navigated his earthly ministry, coupled with his, you know, this this external allegiance to King Jesus and and that kingdom, and I think that's the thing. Like uh, rulers and kings were continually surprised by Paul's citizenship because it didn't it didn't hinder his boldness in proclaiming mm-hmm. the gospel consistently and the whole time. Um, and so I think that was kind of a shocking thing at times. It was kind of a jarring, unsettling thing for kings and rulers um, to see this Roman citizen and be like what kingdom? What do you, you know? Yeah. so I just, that was kind of an interesting thing that I thought
1: right. about, but. One of the things about the history, I'm, I, I don't, I don't want to.
2: What's it called? Historiography, the history of history. I'm This, asleep. Is, asleep. I felt, this is where sorry. everybody's <laughs> going to
1: just go, oh, Amy's about to talk history. Hit that little 15 <laughs> second jump. Pastor Jacob just turned the volume away. Yeah, no, I like it. I like it. you with me, Pastor Jacob. Um, but during this time of the Roman Empire, uh, the Jews were an occupied people. They were a people that were ruled. And so, um, and there was, a, uh, there was a religious tension there. The idea of polytheism and emperor worship that was throughout Rome, they kind of were an amoeba and absorbed other religions, but it's hard to absorb a religion that says, our religion says that your religion can't coexist with our religion. Like, so, so the monotheism of the Jews plus the polytheism of the, uh, of the Roman Empire was at odds. And so one of the unique historical things that you see with Paul is that he had dual citizenship in that. Uh, I think Acts is also playing out with that Paul was chosen because Paul is Paul. Because he was a dual citizen, God is using that in his life, in every moment of his life, even from his birth, to bridge and, and take the gospel. I think what we take from that is every moment of Josh of your life, of Paul of your life, of Andy, of, of my life, God's using those details to, for to as a bridge to take the gospel to other people. I can't take the gospel where you can take the gospel. I can't, I can't do that because God has uniquely placed you there. So I think there's uniqueness that other people were dual citizenship, but it was a it was an unusual thing that he had that. Uh, the reason why so many people were surprised, uh, I think, is because what you see with. Uh, the Apostle Paul was—he had that dual citizenship, but he went, and he is the elite of the elite of the elite Pharisee. Mm-hmm. So, though he had that dualness, he he went all in on Jewish culture. He was a Pharisee of Pharisee. He, that is why he terrorized the, this Christian sect that came out of Judaism. And he wanted to terrorize that and squash that down because he was passionate about the purity of that. I've always been, I've always wondered kind of psychologically how that was for Paul. Is one reason why he was fighting so hard for the purity of that? Did he feel like he was not pure because he had that dual citizenship? I don't know. But I think there's, there's something there that he was so zealous for that, and he was so, and then God radically told him and said, no, this isn't something, this bridge isn't something that you should be ashamed of, that you have to pick against, it's something that I created in you. And so, but because of his history, and his ability to function in Jewish society and understand all of the, the rules of the laws and have the pedigree that he had in there, when he's like, and I'm a Roman citizen, people are like, what? Like, we didn't see that coming. Yeah. And so um, it, maybe it's something that he did hide at some point by becoming so so Jew. But declaring it, the other thing is, is a little bit of you didn't know because he didn't declare it. And so uh, a big part of Acts is when he declares that. He's actually making a legal statement going, hold on, here's my credentials. And so you see that kind of being played. So it wasn't necessarily like the big reveal, like, oh, my goodness, we didn't know this. It's like. No. Oh wow, he's he's asserting that, and so I think that kind of plays into it. That's really good.
0: Yeah. All right, we've got three more questions, so we've got to be quick. Okay. (laughs) Running out of time. Um, Let's see. Do you think we as Christians tend to exalt education too much? I'm struck by how God used the apostles' lack of formal education in Acts
1: 4:13. Can I take a run at this real quick? See if I can answer it really quick. Hit it. Education is a good thing. Education is not a God thing. And so, do we elevate it too much? Yes. We tend to be, our hearts tend to be idol-making factors. And so, education being a good thing, we exalt it and say, it is the ultimate thing. And God constantly goes, no, it's not. But, in Acts, you see a ton of education in Acts. There's a ton of uh, of study and knowing, I mean, uh, I, I think about the deacon Stephen, who was does it show that he was he he wasn't with Jesus, he was a you know, he was just a part of the church and he was said, hold on, you gotta go that word serve the tables of the Hellenistic widows, the marginalized, unimportant people in society. And then he gets up and he starts preaching, and all he does is preach all of scripture. That, that's an education element. So I don't want to throw education down, but I feel like the question is you, we should be shocked by that, because God is is revealing himself through our education, but also through our uneducation, because education isn't the ultimate. Yeah. He, God, that the God that he reveals himself is actually the ultimate, that he's a revealing God.
2: It goes back to your whole descriptive and prescriptive. Like, this is, this is just descriptive of yeah. this person and this person this person. Like, Paul's pretty educated, and yeah. God used that history to glorify him and... So, I, yeah, it's just, it's yes and no. Like, yeah.
1: yeah. And I think we can make it an ultimate. And don't forget, there's so many of these sermons throughout Acts that are literally being written down for the purpose of educating people. Right. So, learning about God, all that does is show us who God is. Education expands uh, expands our futile attempt at seeing and understanding all of our creator, God. We'll think- never quite get there, but we're always searching to learning. So, I love education,
2: and they said education, not formal education. So I think that's like like we should always be educating yeah. ourselves.
0: You know, yeah. It's always growing that. Okay, um, let's see. When the disciples face persecution, it results in the growth of the church and the spread of the gospel. Should we then pray for faith that breeds persecution? So, those are true,
2: but. Uh, I think if you're following Jesus to the best of your ability, whatever that that looks like for you, I don't think you need to pray for persecution. Like I think that is a uh, Jesus promised suffering and Jesus promised persecution. Uh, If they hate you or if they they hated me, they're going to hate you. And so I just don't think like, um, I don't know that you need to be praying for that necessarily. I just think that if you want his kingdom to come, that's just a natural process that's going to happen because of how you're living your life, um. And but the, but the other thing is, like, does the church thrive when it's persecuted? I think that's kind of obvious. Mm-hmm. And uh, but I don't know. I don't know what you think. I don't.
1: Well, I mean, you see the the church thriving through thousands of people coming and then meeting each other's need. I wouldn't say that that's persecution. Mm-hmm. I would say that that's really a time of blessing and growth. You also see the church thriving when Paul and Silas get thrown into a a Philippian jail and they find joy there. And so I think we have to be careful of going, of trying to make a formula of, oh, if we pray for and we seek persecution, if we do that, then, oh, good. Now God's message gets to go out. Now I think it's going to come. God's message is going out. So I would actually encourage us to pray for God's message to come out. And then the bold prayer, because I I love that this person's asking, man, I don't necessarily want to pray to hurt, but am I supposed to? I love that. You're asking that question. And I would say we pray for God's word to go out. We know that there is enemies and there there are principalities that are against the kingdom of God going out. And when they come, we... We don't think that they. We know that He that is in us is greater than He that is in the world, and so we can rejoice even in that suffering. Yeah, that suffering will come. They will hate you, but but Jesus still overcame, and there is still great joy. And to me, it's this odd thing of in blessing or persecution, God's word goes out, God's kingdom comes. Jesus is the savior of both the victory and the struggle of the the uh, of, uh, of the time of, of plenty and the time of want. And so I don't think we have to pray for persecution. It will come. I don't actually have to think we, I don't think we have to pray for blessing. I think we pray for his kingdom to come and we trust him through it. And he's the God that brings joy amidst the sorrow and amidst the the bounty. Thanks. All right. Last question what would you say is the main thesis of the book of Acts? Uh, Paul, I'll let you finish this because I, a few weeks ago, I preached this. And so I really do think that the thesis of Acts can be found in the last verse of the book. So in Acts chapter 28, uh, actually the, the last two verses. So Acts chapter 28, verse 30 and 31 says that Paul lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him. Proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. I think that's the theme of Acts, is that that's what the Holy Spirit is doing, is without hindrance, because his message wins, going out and anyone and all who comes with all boldness, there's nothing that we look at and we go, we worry that our Savior is not that we worry that Jesus is not king of that. He is Lord of Lords, preaching that and living that out. Uh, I think there's kind of there's another maybe sermon to talk about where it says that he lived there and it was at his own expense. I kind of liked that. Yeah, we're living here and we're gonna spend and sacrifice those things because this is what God this is where God has placed us and this is what we're to be about. That's what I think it is.
2: That's good. And he's better because he's quoting scripture. I'm just going to quote someone else. So (laughs) real cool, man. Um, But I think like, you know, Acts being volume two for Luke of what's happening because of what Jesus did. um, R.C. Sproul said it follows the accomplishment of redemption with the concrete application of redemption. And so um, I just think that's such a neat way to perceive it. Like, okay, so Jesus came and this is what he's done. And now look what the church gets to do because of that. Look how we get to live and look what we get to do uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I just kind of like that the application of redemption was kind of cool.
1: Yeah. Well, and I appreciate That's what I liked about this Sunday was I felt like this Sunday we got a little taste of the last 29 weeks. Redeemer struggling with this scripture and saying, what does this mean? And not everybody asked the questions. Not everybody. Maybe not all your questions were answered. But we're doing this because this is what the Holy Spirit is doing through us. And so I really thank everybody for uh, their questions. I think uh, I just think Redeemer. We don't say this enough. Redeemer is a really gracious congregation. Yeah. And um, willing to kind of bear and, and struggle and fight through these scriptures and learn and be encouraged and. Uh, uh, together and I, I think that's a good thing you know i get the 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 privilege most often but paul gets to do it and some other people have gotten to preach through this um but we're glad that that's not that if that's where it ends that's really sad but i don't think that that's what happens with redeemer i think redeemer really is kind of getting in there and saying no what does the scripture mean for us for me and how it goes? And, and i think that's the holy spirit working and so we're thank you for the time and thank you for uh asking the questions Thank you